Hey friends, and welcome to the Moving Mountains podcast. Moving Mountains is a place to hear true stories of modern day miracles told by ordinary people just like you and me. My name is Paige, and I'm joined here in Alaska by my dear friends, Margaret and Bernadette, as we witness accounts of how God has worked in people's lives in big and small ways. As you listen to these stories of hope, answered prayers, and unexplained phenomena, we invite you to allow this space to inspire your faith and even to help you recognize the ways in which God is moving mountains in your own life. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Moving Mountains podcast. Um, I'm super excited about this episode today because we have a former mentor of mine, Mr. Jim Beckman, joining us today. Jim, say hi. Hello. Great to be with you all. Great to have you as well. Jim, um, when I worked for St. Patrick's as a youth minister, John Barrientes and myself, John was on an earlier episode in season one. So if you haven't heard his episode, definitely go back and check it out. Um, we got the privilege to work with Jim and um, have him as our mentor through the Impact Institute, which is something I'm sure he will talk about in a moment. <laughs> um, and he it was just so incredible. We got to go down to Oklahoma City um, and just train with him with evangelization and discipleship. And he told some incredible stories about miracles that he had experienced throughout his life. And all of us were just always having, having to take our jaw off the floor. <laughs> so <laughs> when we were thinking about this podcast originally, um, Jim was like top of my list of someone that I told Margaret and Bernadette, like we have to get Jim on this podcast and have him share his stories because they're truly just so incredible. And his faith is also just so incredible and inspiring as well. Um, before I hand the mic over to Jim though, um, Margaret or sorry, Bernadette is going to <laughs> ask us our very important question. But before that, I also just wanted to say that, um, all of our children are home today. <laughs> so if you hear any <laughs> screaming chaos in the background, we do apologize for that. We do try to keep it minimal, but um, we've got some crazy boys on our hands. So um, <laughs> yes, we, we do. might hear, yeah, we might hear some fun, <laughs> some fun noise in the background, but Berna, take it away. Okay. So Jim, we always ask a very important question and our guests can get to answer first. So the question today is which season is better and why? So which season is better, summer or winter? Oh, shoot. My, fav <laughs> my favorite is fall. Uh, <laughs> summer too, summer Sorry. is better. We only have two seasons in Alaska. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really summer. Uh, especially in Alaska, summer is better. I've, I've only been to Alaska in the winter. And it was like three hours of sunlight. It was it was horrible. I, I was only there for three or four days, and I thought I, I, thought I was going to die. Um, I, don't, I don't know how you guys live there during the winter. But, um, yeah, so definitely summer for me. Okay. What about you, Margaret? Wow. I'm I knew you'd have a hard winter. time with this. I know. Ah. I'm going to say winter, um, and I will tell you why. There are no mosquitoes in winter. Um. Besides the darkness, there isn't really a threat of bears, so I can go out and adventure <laughs> and not worry about bears showing up. I do love the snow, however, when it lasts a really long time, like this past winter, I'm not a fan anymore. But 
I would pick winter. So there you go. Okay, Paige. I think I know your answer too. <laughs> well, um, depending on where I am. So if I was in Texas recording this, I would say winter. <laughs> but since I'm in Alaska, it's not I really winter. <laughs> hey, hey, Texas, winter. Texas gets like some, we don't have spring. some frost uh, <laughs> on the grass, you know? <laughs> Texas winter is like Alaska summer. Let's be honest. Exactly. Literally, when we were packing clothes to come up to camp for the summers up here in Alaska, but still lived in Texas, we would tell our friends who were coming first for the first time to Alaska, we're like, just bring your Texas winter clothes. Like, that's all you'll need. That's perfect. <laughs> don't, bring, don't bring your Texas summer clothes. <laughs> Jeans, a t-shirt, some long sleeve layers. Probably a, a hat in case it <laughs> gets cold enough at night. Yeah. A sweater, a flannel. My parents, yep. they bring their down coats when they come. <laughs> yep. For not the winter time, for the summer. Yeah. Yes. I wear my down in summer here too. <laughs> yeah. but. but I, yeah, I love the summer so much. I love the midnight sun. Um, and I just love all the activities of summer. The mosquitoes are a little bit annoying, but um that's what mosquito spray is for right mm-hmm agreed <laughs> i'm right, with Berna. you Paige. <laughs> <laughs> you both know it's gonna pick summer <laughs> definitely summer i love warmth i love sunshine what i love about the alaskan summer is all the daylight jim the reason we survive through winter here is that we're exhausted from no darkness for like yep. three plus yeah, months. For months and months. Yep. Yeah. So we're ready like, for hibernation. Yep. We're in hermit <laughs> mode until, you know, end of January and then we start wanting the daylight back. But yep. I just love going outside. If I had it my way, I'd be like barefoot and in a tank top most of the year. So summer <laughs> all the way. <laughs> awesome. Great question, Bernadette. Yes. But I do agree with Jim. Fall is my favorite overall. <laughs> I'm with you all. On I kept it simple with just with just the two. But yes, yes. maybe next time it'll be spring or fall. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I just want to plug that every season has its benefits. But I, yeah, spring, not my favorite. But I, I yeah, I don't hate summer. I just want you all to know that. <laughs> <laughs> all right jim well we would love for you to introduce yourself to our guests and um just tell them a little bit about who you are what you've done what you're doing and then you, after that you can just jump right into your miracle story okay um well my name is jim we've established that <laughs> um i'm uh my wife and I and our five kids uh, live in Oklahoma City. Well, actually, our oldest son is still in Denver. We, we moved here about six years ago, and he's, he stayed in Colorado. Uh, and ironically, we're in the midst of uh, selling our house and moving back to Colorado after six years here in Oklahoma. So uh, just a, a quick snapshot, I guess, of my life. We, we lived for 22 years in the... Denver area. That's where I would have met Paige and John, John Barrientes. And, um, no, we met in Oklahoma. Oh, that's right. But I, I met John, I think when I was still in Denver. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you guys came down for the impact. In, Cause I, I had started that in Denver. And then when I moved to Oklahoma was kind of finishing that cohort of, of leaders. So, so I, I've had kind of an interesting journey uh 
you know, blessed in, in many ways to be, to have been a part of a lot of different, very beautiful things. I, I spent a number of years working for Franciscan University, uh, helping run all of their youth conferences. Uh, back in the day when I first started working with them, we had uh, a couple of conferences on campus. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when I left that position, uh, I moved down to Louisiana, uh, Alexandria, Louisiana. Actually, I was working for Bishop Sam Jacobs there. And um, my first, I don't know, six, seven months in Louisiana, I was out to dinner one night with Bishop Jacobs, and he said, what if we did a Steubenville conference here? <laughs> and I was like, that's a great idea. We could call it Steubenville <laughs> South. And um, oh. so it, it was really weird. Like over the next two or three years, I helped uh, a good friend of mine there in Louisiana, Sally Dubrock. Uh, I, I, she worked for the diocese and we helped start the first, you know, kind of remote Steubenville conference in Alexandria, Louisiana. And then, Several years later, moved wow. to Denver, and uh, I thought, let's start Steubenville of the Rockies here in Denver. <laughs> so I, I just happened to live in these cities where these first two remote conferences happened, and I was able to be kind of the guy on the ground that helped connect all the dots, so to speak. And, um, wow. So what, what a blessing now. I did not now, know that you know. was you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, what a blessing also, Jim, all these years later to be, you know, what, what they have 20, 28 conferences and over 50,000 kids. I don't know how many. Yeah. Jim, I want to say that I actually grew up in Steubenville and I remember like running around at the conferences that used to be held outdoors under like the big tent. Yeah. The big tent. Um, yeah. <laughs> Father Mike Scanlon running everything. So I wonder if I saw you as a kid. Um, I'm just sure growing we would have. Steubenville being a, yeah. I'm sure we would have interacted. <laughs> awesome. What's your last name? Um, my last name there is Dubois. My dad, um, Ron Dubois, was a music professor at yeah, Franciscan. Sure. And- oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, small world. All huh? these were, were you in, Now, were, were you in Steubenville the year of the the summer theme that year was the Great Adventure, and we had the microburst storm that tore down the tent? Were you there that yes. summer? Yes, oh I remember. Gosh. I don't remember wow. the name of the conference. I just remember the tent being blown away. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> so this, I mean, this this is a, a almost like a miracle story, sort of, so to speak. Like I, mm-hmm. Molly Kelly was given the Saturday evening keynote. I'm standing back behind the stage with a bunch of people talking about, you know, oh my gosh, this big storm's coming. The guy who is the maintenance, the head of maintenance, his name was Joe McGurn. Like I, 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 hardly ever, I hardly ever interacted with Joe. Like you know, like he he was in the maintenance area, and we, we our our jobs just rarely ever overlapped. But he was so insistent, and and even prayerful. Like he was like, guys, I'm telling you, we need to get everybody out of this tent. And um, mm. and I'm looking at him, and people are like, what if it passes? And what if it really doesn't amount to anything? And I just saw this urgency in his eyes that was just like, uh, I think we better do something. I walked up on stage and put my hand on Molly Kelly's shoulder and said, I'm going to have to interrupt you. And I made an announcement that everybody needed to leave the stage. I gave some quick directions where people needed to go. And um, within literally within a, you know, a matter of minutes, the storm hit the campus ripped the tent off the ground 
Oh my gosh. Uh, and you know, those big circus tents ha have those huge, huge poles. Like the, one of the tent poles impaled the podium. <gasps> what? And like went so through, crazy. like through, the, through the podium and in through the back of the tent where Molly Kelly literally was standing. Like she would have oh been killed. My. She would have oh been killed. Oh my goodness. So, uh, wow. yeah, there, there's uh, one of the Steubenville. Uh, we, we all say I, I survived the great adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that was a wild, that was a wild summer. That's amazing. So, so anyway, a wow. lot, lot of, a uh, lot of, lot of background with Steubenville conferences and watching those grow and expand over the years. But then when, when I moved to Denver, I was a youth minister at a parish in Littleton, Colorado. Uh, we were actually right down the street from Columbine high school. So, mm -hmm. uh, 200 of our kids were in the school the day the shooting happened. Wow. Th three of our kids were murdered, a number of others oh injured. Oh my goodness. So that, that whole, you know, kind of like a two year stretch of time just dominated everything in our, in our lives. Mm. Um, and then uh, I was at that parish for probably 10 years uh, and had started working on my master's degree at the Augustine Institute and uh, I, I was getting ready to leave parish youth ministry to ma mainly because my kids were becoming middle school age and I didn't want to be my own kids youth minister. So I was kind of, I was kind of like discerning out, you know, um, I'm not going to be that guy, you know? And, um, and so right, right about that time, I was really praying about what did the Lord want me to do next? And I, I felt very drawn to start this, ministry I, I called it impact center and, and the whole focus of it was to minister to ministers uh to care care for caregivers so to speak and um it, it was kind of rooted in you know as a as a long time youth minister the question that i got asked all the time was how did you last so long mm -hmm. uh you know like the, the the typical youth ministers around for you know a year and a half to two years and then and then they're gone um and, you know, I, I'd been in parishes for like 10 years at a time. Wow. And, uh, so I, my answer to that question was always like, well, I had a really good pastor who knew how to take care of me. Uh, and I just, I just followed some really key principles about how to take care of yourself, how to stay rooted spiritually, uh, and, and how to really follow kind of the lead of the Holy Spirit and the way that you do ministry. And, um, so impact center was kind of this, this, I guess this desire to bring some of that to bear. Um, and I, I had, had a real heart for leadership development and things like that. So impact center though, I got it off the ground and it only lasted about a year and a half, two years. And I ran out of money and just couldn't, couldn't keep it alive financially. I, I had just finished my master's degree and the Augustine Institute offered me a job like the next week. And uh, so I, I went to work at the Augustine Institute and was kind of doing impact center, so to speak, like off to the side, if that makes, makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I ran that leadership Institute. Uh, I had a couple cohorts that went through that. Uh, and that, that was very easy to do kind of connected to the work, the teaching work that I was doing at the Augustine Institute. And then about, I don't know, six, six and a half years ago or so, I got pursued by the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City to come down here and, you know, kind of take a, a 
kind of a strategy leadership role, mission strategy for the archdiocese and help them kind of form a strategic plan uh, in, in, into the 2030s. And uh, so over the last uh, six years, that's, that's what I was doing here. This past summer, I kind of discerned, really felt drawn. Like, I, I, I don't know how else to say this other than the last two years since the pandemic have been the weirdest years of my life. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know, I don't know if you guys have experienced it similarly, but, um, I, I feel like the landscape in, in the church is a very desolate one. A lot of people who, who are in ministry roles, I've, I've never seen mental health issues and, uh, faith issues and mm. marriages unraveling with the, and th- these are people who work for the church for 15, 20, 25 years, and their marriage has fallen apart, you know. And so o- over the past year, I-, I just really felt like the Lord burdening my heart for what I had, you know, started to do with Impact Center. And, you know, ended up talking with Archbishop Coakley last summer and just saying, I, I really think this would be a good time for me. We had formed the strategic plan uh, there, you know, a lot of directional things were happening in the diocese and it was getting to the point where I was more being more administrative, which is, I, I don't think are my gifts, you know? Hmm. And, um, so anyway, I, I opted to leave and, you know, kind of submitted my resignation last summer. And now I'm, you know, f- I'm, I'm kind of going full time into just, uh, resurrecting what I started with impact center and just focusing on that with all of my attention right now so that that's wow in a nutshell what i do that that was yeah. probably longer than a nutshell no, it was great <laughs> it's great I, I, am, that. I am older so there's a lot a lot of years to <laughs> yeah and uh, it's such a blessing that you get to really pour into that full time because i mean it was so incredible for john and myself to go through that and we learned so so much from it um also you helped create wide disciple. Is that correct? Yeah, that was one of the projects that I uh, spearheaded when I was working at the Augustine Institute, creating that curriculum and um, developing that resource. Yeah. And then you wrote a book on prayer. Yep. Yeah. I've I've written a couple books. What's the official title of that one? I have a book on prayer called God help me how to grow in prayer. Yes. We Uh, have that one. And then I I co-authored a book with Eric Gallagher. He used to be the director of youth ministry in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, called Discipleship Shaped Youth Ministry, which Hmm. is just a short book on discipleship method and practice in the context of youth ministry. So, awesome! Yeah, and we'll and and um, I'm actually writing a book right now called There's More. Oh, uh, my, my hope is to have it done before the end of this calendar year and out early in 2024. But, All right, everybody. Yeah. Keep we'll be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll definitely put your um, your other books in our show notes. So if anyone's interested in reading them, um, Jim and Jim is an amazing writer. So I highly, highly recommend picking those books up and reading them. Um, oh, but thanks. yeah, thanks for sharing with us all of that. Um and you can just hop on into your miracle story. So, um, 
you, I, you almost have to help me. Like, which miracle story do you want me to share? Because I've got, I've got a bunch. <laughs> okay, got a so bunch many. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need to share the one about um, your conversion to Catholicism and the healing of, I think it was your father. Mm -hmm. And you were in the car as a little boy. I'm oh, trying yeah. not to give it all away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I think I've heard this story, but I didn't <laughs> you know give, that was you. you give me, I'm, I'm you give me the to little nuggets. It. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Start with that one. <laughs> well, I, I I love what you guys are doing with with a show like this because um, I'm I'm just convinced that one of the things missing in the church today is more of the power of God. Mm. Um, and I, I think you, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the book that's kind of been wildly promoted over the last couple of years from Christendom to apostolic mission. Have you heard of this book? No, I no. haven't. Yeah. So that, that's, that would be another one you could put in the show notes. I didn't write it, okay. but um, <laughs> from it's called from Christendom to apostolic mission. And the, the whole, the whole gist of the book is, we're no longer in an era of Christendom. Mm -hmm. Like se secular culture is just increasing, you know, uh, rapidly. Yeah. I, 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 and I, I would say over the last three or four years, it's just like almost tanked, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. You know, like, yeah. like, wow, like the decline of culture and society and all that stuff is just crazy what's happened. Um, but the, but the, the premise of the book is, we kind of go through this ebb and flow in the course of history where there's eras of history where we're kind of in a time of Christendom where everything around us for the most part is kind of largely supportive and almost consistent with Christian Judeo Christian values, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think for many, many years, at least in America, you, you could say, yeah, I mean, public school system, Christian school or Catholic school, like your, your kids are going to have very similar experiences in both of those environments. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, clearly now that's not the case, right? Like that, like that's right. really, mm -hmm. really changing. I think more and more dramatically. Absolutely. Um, and so in a time of Christendom, the secular institutions are somewhat consistent with the Christian institutions because Christianity has been somewhat successful in evangelizing the wider culture and has kind of Im imbued its its Christian worldview into the rest of in, into the rest of the society. Well, that ebb begins to change and at a certain point there's a decline in the in the secular culture and more and more of a rift between what Christian culture would be and what secular culture is. Uh, and that's when we move into more of an apostolic time where now the church has to work harder at evangelizing because mm. the, the rest of the culture doesn't believe the same things we believe. They don't, they don't look at things the same way that we do. And mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't know, when you look back throughout the history of the church, like if you, if you really understand that concept, you look back throughout the history of the church and say, okay, in other apostolic times, what what are what are you know like look at the first you know the time that Jesus would walk around on the earth and the first mm -hmm. you know hundred years of Christianity like what what were those times uniquely marked by miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit that's what mm -hmm. uh, like G Jesus would would go into settings 
and would perform a miracle, uh, sometimes even before he would preach or teach, because that would get everybody's attention, you know, or he would mm-hmm. teach something mm-hmm. and then he would perform a miracle, you know, to kind of almost put an exclamation point on the fact like I had the authority <laughs> to say what I just said uh, mm-hmm. and and here, let me prove it to you, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I think we're, we're moving into one of these times where things are uniquely marked by, you know, more apostolic nature in the church and that that's the climate for us. And so one of the things that I think you're just going to see more and more of is God is going to show himself with with signs and with power uh, to demonstrate mm-hmm. the, the reality of his existence. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of the ways he's going to capture hearts for people because, uh, you know, it will be undeniable. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I had an experience as a young kid, like this is how I came to meet God, um, you know, pretty troubled childhood in some ways, because at, at six months old, my dad was tragically injured with a, a back and neck injury that left him as a paraplegic uh, and re- really paralyzed from the chest down wow. uh, on the on the right side of his body. And over the first, you know, eight, nine years of my life, just seemingly one you know tragedy after another that my my mom was dealing with uh i i an older sister who was born with cerebral palsy and was in and out of hospitals with surgeries uh wow. my my dad sick you know and for several years in and out of hospitals major surgeries and trying to repair the back injury that had happened but then eventually you know, resigning to the fact that he was never going to get better and putting him in a nursing home where, where he just could have round the clock care. Mm. And then when I was eight, I uh, had a sister who was just a couple years older than me who tragically died from kind of a rare reaction to aspirin. She, she, she contracted rise syndrome. If you've ever heard of that. And um, oh my goodness. Yeah. And so unfortunately my mom, gave her the aspirin because she had a fever, uh, not knowing that, not knowing that you shouldn't do that. And, um, so when she died, my mom kind of blamed herself, had a nervous breakdown, uh, and, you know, kind of was taken away from all of us kids and put in a mental hospital for a little while. And so all, all during that time, you know, just a lot of tragedy, a lot of, lot of diff- difficulty and hardship i ironically have all these great memories of my childhood you know mm-hmm. like a lot a lot of family mm-hmm. time a lot of sitting on my dad's hospital bed and him telling us stories and fixing mm-hmm. radios and you, you know it's kind of funny how your how memory works you know like despite all mm-hmm. of the traumatic and even tragic things I, I have a lot of great memories of my of my childhood but um when i was you know, probably nine and a half years old, my mom had come back from her, you know, uh, stint in the, in a mental hospital. She was kind of recovering. Uh, I, th- I think she was probably bordering on, you know, uh, uh, closet alcoholic, um, mm. struggle with a lot of depression. She, she would kind of sleep her, you know, fall, fall to sleep drinking locked in her bedroom at night. Um, 
and just very, very depressed. Wow. Well, then one night she she uh, comes home. She she later told this story about how she had had this conversion experience through this event that they had at our parish. Uh, it was called the Abundant Living Seminar. You know, uh, mm-hmm. go go figure. Um, but it was one of those things, you know, like you, uh, you 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 wonder sometimes if you do something at your parish and you just like advertise it after mass on a Sunday, you know. Like, mm. does that stuff really work? Uh, well, it, it it evidently does. It worked for my mom because uh, that's that's literally what happened. Like, she was sitting in the pew on a Sunday, and somebody stands up to make an announcement about this seminar that was going to happen the next Saturday, and uh, she it, it kind of annoyed her, you know, abundant living. That sounds stupid, you know. <laughs> but then she got hit up like three more times on the way to the car before she, oh. before she got to the car in the parking lot. She had like three or four people try to give her a flyer, you know? And um, so anyway, long story short, she goes to this thing the next Saturday, just has kind of a life altering experience and starts reading the Bible and starts going to a prayer meeting in our parish. And like, all I can tell you is like, as a nine year old kid, I saw the change, Mm. like something just Mm. fundamentally changed in her uh, from depressed and, you know, isolating and uh, angry and, uh, you know, very harsh with us kids to joyful and wanting to read the Bible to us. And even even though that was kind of weird because we had never done anything like that <laughs> up till that point. Uh, but that, that was better than what we were getting, you know, in terms of like no attention at all. And um, so I don't know when it was, maybe a month or two later, she invites us to go to this prayer meeting with her one night. And um, I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> and again, even even as a, as a nine and a half year old kid, you, you would think like, I don't, I don't know if I really grasp all of this stuff, but mm-hmm. I saw what a different person my mom was and how joyful she was. And I think there was something even in me at that young age that was attracted to that. It's like, well, mm. I, I want to go see what it is she's doing. And my my brother, who's a year older than me, and then uh, another sister, uh, three years older than me, all three of us went with her that night. And um, it, it was just this crazy evening where uh, I, I don't remember much of it because it was like a Pentecostal prayer gathering. <laughs> that the the Catholic prayer group from our parish all went to together. You know, they wanted to hear this guest speaker and you know, the first the first 10 15 minutes were pretty exciting. This guy was very very, you know, uh boisterous and going back and forth like waving a bible in the air and shouting and yelling and it's like, "Wow, this is kind of different. You don't see this very often." And um well then, you know, nine, nine and a half years old, I fell asleep. Uh, and didn't, you know, like I woke up to clapping. So I, I literally missed the entire talk. And, um, <laughs> but I wake up to everybody clapping, and then and then the speaker says, I, I have a special invitation. If, if you want to experience what I've been talking about tonight, I want to invite you to come up here so that I can pray with you. And I hadn't heard the talk, but I jumped up. <laughs> And just immediately started walking up towards the front of the room. And uh, and my brother was right behind me. 
<laughs> and at a certain point, I mean, this is like a big gathering. It's probably like, you know, 900, 1,000 people in this big auditorium. Wow. And I'm, I'm walking up the middle aisle, like towards the front of the room. And I hear all this giggling. And I kind of, I got a little, you know, nervous, like, what's going on? Like, why is everybody laughing? And, and I kind of turned around and looked and realized there's nobody else in the entire place that's going towards the front. Oh and then, goodness. except for my what? brother, who was now coming up fast behind me. And I'm like, uh-uh, no way you're beating me. You know, <laughs> so like I, I, I started, I didn't want to run. But I started walking faster, and then he starts walking faster, and then we're like walking fast, walking fast, you know. And um, so, you know, that's what everybody's laughing at was like we were actually competing with each other. But because because we were so young, I, I think it just kind of stopped the whole. Like nobody else started going to the front until we got up there, hmm. and and the speaker said, "Whose kids are these?" <laughs> my mom is like you know. so then my mom and my sister like come up front and then a bunch of other people did too you know it's like an altar call uh but he ended up praying over our whole family like there he he was moved i think by mm. my my brother and i and um so just tons of stuff happened that night um my my mom had some really serious varicose vein issues going on in her legs like she she had almost like a little bit of uh, I, I think it's called elephantitis where, mm. where your, your legs oh. just swell up with fluid and mm -hmm. her veins she was having all kinds of problems with her veins and very painful for her uh standing on her feet and stuff my sister had had uh you know s several surgeries because of, of how she was born and had some you know, uh, ser serious surgeries done to try and repair. Uh, she had one leg shorter than the other, and they they had done a surgery where they had put in a steel plate to try and protect that. You know, the bone fusing and coming back together and stuff. And and then my brother Matt had several hernias, and they they told me he's never going to play sports again. And so anyway, that night. This, this guy is praying over us and he says, I really believe that God wants to give you all miracles. Mm -hmm. Like ask the Lord whatever you want. And my mom ends up saying that she wants to pray for the problem that she's been having with her legs. And so they pray over her for that, you know. And then my sister is praying about the steel plate in her leg and how she's going to have to go back and have another surgery done to have that plate taken out. And, and then my brother Matt is saying, I want to play sports. Like every, I, I just want to be an athlete, but I've had so many hernias. I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to play sports. And uh, so everybody's being prayed over. And then it's finally my turn. And I'm like, I don't have any physical, I, I don't know. I don't have any <laughs> physical need, you know? And I remember looking at the guy and like feeling kind of panicked, like, I don't know what to ask for. <laughs> and so I, I just said, I want as much of Jesus as I can get. Oh. <laughs> and uh you know innocent nine and a half year old kid you know and um probably melted his heart yes <laughs> yeah and and i mean i look back on that night you know i used to always be um you know feel like i missed out on something because i didn't ask for something specific everybody else got mm -hmm. this specific miraculous thing but what i realized later is i actually had my prayer answered 
like uh, like when you look at all of the spiritual gifts, I, I just feel like I got kind of blown away with a whole outpouring of spiritual gifts mm-hmm. that have been you know very much a part of my life and my ministry for years, um, almost in a way that's not not the way the typical person experiences those kinds of spiritual gifts, you know. And um, so anyway, we're we're leaving that night driving home in the car and uh, trying to sing songs that we had just heard sung. We'd never been to anything like this, so we didn't know the songs. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like mixing <laughs> verses together from different songs and <laughs> trying to sing something. And uh, it, I'm sure it sounded completely horrible, but um, we're, we're all kind of yelling and singing and clapping in the car. And in the midst of all of that, like I'm in the back seat, you know, on the hump, uh, which <laughs> oh, if you know, yeah. you know, you know, the old station <laughs> yep. wagons, you know, like a, <laughs> yep. I, I was in, in the back, in the middle, on the hump, and um, <laughs> and what comes out of my mouth, like in between one of these, you know, moments of praise, I said, "My people, your father is going to be healed and restored to your family in six months." Whoa. And then everybody, everybody in the car is really quiet. Uh, and then my mom, my mom is just like start singing another song because she's like, "Okay, that was so weird." Um, I don't know how to respond to that. And, and when you when you when you think about it, like you look back on it now, it's like I was nine and a half. I'd never been to a prayer mm-hmm. meeting in my life. I'd never heard a prophecy in my life. I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known words like that. Uh, or language mm-hmm. like that, you know? Right. Uh, so, I mean, it was clearly a moment of a prophetic word coming out of me through through the Holy wow. Spirit, you know? And I was a little jealous because my brother got the gift of tongues. And so <laughs> as, as we're in the car, you know, like uh, praying, he keeps praying in tongues and he keeps saying these lines over and over again. And I mean, it's like, it literally sounded like another language, you know, and like I kept trying to pray in tongues and all that would come out of me was like, la, 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 la. But he, he was saying actual words, you know, that sounded like a foreign language or something, you know, it's like, what the heck? Like, how, how do you, how is that happening? Well, we get home and Matt says, I want to, I want to call dad and share my new gift with him. And my mom was like, no, 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 don't do that. Uh, you know, my, my dad would not have wanted anything to do with any of this stuff. Uh, he had grown very bitter, you know, really, af- after nine mm-hmm. years of mm-hmm. everything that he'd gone through. And um, so my brother sneaks downstairs to the office, my mom's office, where there was another phone, and calls the nursing home, gets to my dad's room on the on the phone, you know, and and, and he just says, Dad, I went to this prayer prayer meeting tonight with Mom, and I got this new gift I want to share it with you. He starts praying in tongues over the phone. <laughs> My dad says, get your mother on the phone. So he comes upstairs. He, he can sense, like, okay, I think Mom's in trouble. Um, <laughs> he tells Mom, Dad wants to talk to you, and she's like, no, you didn't call him. <laughs> uh, so my you mom picks listen. up the phone, immediately defensive. Like, I told him not to call you, Harold. I told him not to call you. And my dad says, Barbara, listen to me. 
that boy just said the Lord's Prayer in Latin to me. What? Wow. <laughs> it's the only it's the only thing I remember from my high school Latin classes. So I don't know what you're doing, but it has to be real. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. We look forward to sharing part two with you next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the Moving Mountains podcast. If you have a miracle story to tell, please call our hotline at 412-449-9609. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Moving Mountains Podcast AK. We encourage you to subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share our podcast with others. We'll see you next time.